morning. Informal poll. This has nothing to do with anything we're going to talk about, pretty much. Uh, who's planning to watch the Super Bowl this evening? Most people. Most of you. Um, I just ask. It's funny. I won't ask you what team you're rooting for. I'll make my own assumptions. Um, I think Patriots fans are rooting for the Patriots, and everybody else is rooting for the Falcons. So I think that's pretty – I'm probably pretty close, at least. Um, several years ago, there were some, some questionable calls. There were some uh, – some things that people weren't very happy about in the, I can't remember if it was the AFC Championship game or the NFC Championship game, and if you don't know about football, you can tune me out for about 30 seconds. Um, but after the game, people said, I don't agree with what happened. I'm not watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> I said, yeah, you are. <laughs> Let's be real. Even if it's just for the commercials, you're still watching it. So uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday to you. That should be some sort of national holiday based on the amount of emphasis we tend to put on it. Um, but I love football, so I'm going to watch it. You know, I love football. I actually watched the game. There was one year we had the, the teens over to our house for, uh, for the Super Bowl party, and I had found this great recipe for baked wings that ended up coming out good and crispy, because for wings, they've got to be crispy, so you really need to fry them, but they, they were awesome. And I spent the whole party making wings instead of watching the game, and I was really disappointed. I'm like, I, I literally watched maybe five minutes of it at the most because I just kept making wings, and they must have been good because they just kept eating them. So... I really do. I do love football. And so we're going to talk for the next two weeks about love and hate. And we thought this was somewhat timely with Valentine's Day coming up, although I, we're not going to talk about like the ooey-gooey kind of love, um, I promise. I, when I said that first, I was like, hey, now. I was like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the ooey-gooey sort of less is not what we're talking about. Um, really, it just kind of fits with Valentine's Day because the word love is in the series title, but... Here is a very simple truth. In any relationship, whether it be a friendship or romantic relationship or a work relationship or a neighbor relationship, whatever that relationship looks like, it is always helpful to know, to be aware of, to find out what the other person loves and what they hate. It's always helpful to know that. You can put that information into play to make the relationship better. If you know what they love and you know what they hate, that's going to help. And the same is absolutely true for our relationship with God. It is important for us to understand what God loves and what God hates or what God doesn't tolerate. And we have no problem with the idea that God loves us and there are things that God loves, but we struggle with the idea that God could hate something or however you want to phrase it. And so I very much look forward to next week when Larry gets to handle the tough part and talk about hate, and I just get to talk about love. Now, I have to get on my soapbox here for just a moment, and this is one I climb onto regularly. There, there are words in the English language that used to have stronger meanings. And then we overused and misused them and weakened their meanings, and now we throw them around like nothing. For instance, the, my, my favorite example of this is always the word awesome. You know, it really means... Awe-inspiring when something is awesome, and yet we talk about everything. There will be a play in the Super Bowl tonight where we say that was awesome. Well, it was cool, but it really didn't inspire necessarily awe in us. And, and so we, 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 we do the same thing with the word love because we love our families and we, we love God, but we also love pizza. And we get passionate about the things that we love and hate, don't we? We... We love certain things, and we don't love or even hate certain things, and we let people know that. You know, if somebody else likes it, we've got to tell them we hate it. 
Think about this for a moment. There are things you absolutely love, something that you know a good chunk of people hate, and you're, and you're proud of that. You're willing to bring that up. Let me, let me give you my, my best examples of this. Uh, the first one is sushi. I love sushi. Nobody went to eat this time. Okay, good. Um, there was a lot of like, ooh, at first. <laughs> I love sushi. I would eat some right now. I would have eaten some at, at 8.30 this morning in first service. I like sushi. Right now, if somebody brought me a tray of sushi, I wouldn't even ask if it came from a gas station. I'd eat it. But I haven't met very many people that would say, eh, sushi's okay. Typically, what you meet is you either meet somebody who goes, oh, yeah, I love sushi, or somebody who says, ugh, I hate sushi. There, there's not a lot of middle ground. It tends to be a love or hate kind of thing. Also, if you like sushi and people do that to you, ask them if they've tried it. More times than not, they'll say, well, no, it looks too gross. Seems to be a love or hate kind of thing. There are certain things in life that inspire one or the other. Another one is country music. There tend to be, it's a love or hate kind of thing. Social media is another. There are some people that would say social media is the worst thing in our society today. It just makes everything worse, and in some ways they'd be right. But there are others that would say, hold on, let me get the right filter on this selfie before I post it, and then I'll tell you why I love social media so much. Now, when it comes to what God loves, it's important that we understand something right up front, and this is in your insert along with all the scriptures for today, and that's this. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. And it's extremely important we understand that right up front. That statement is probably a sermon in itself, and it finds its, its basis in 1 John chapter 4. In verse 8, where this is written, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love is the very essence of God. It's His nature, and, and that's what we read here. And we can believe that that's true, that God is love, and we can say, well, obviously it's true, it's written in Scripture, and we believe what Scripture says. But that can also create in us an issue, some confusion. Because if God is love and, and God is always with me and we believe that God is always with us, then why don't I always feel God's love? You see, we have to be able to admit this morning that, that no matter how devout we are, no matter how closely we might believe we're following Jesus, there are times in all of our lives where we struggle to feel God's love. Seasons, moments, whatever it looks like, there are times for all of us. And there are several reasons that this happens, and I think it's important that we look at those this morning. Several reasons. And to be able to examine our own lives and say, do these come into play in my life? Is this something that happens in my life? The first one is this. Maybe we're not seeking God like we should. There's a flawed belief among some that God is in pursuit of us and we just have to sit back and wait for Him. That's a flawed, flawed belief. That we should just sit back, that there's no need for us to seek God because He's already with us and so we just need to accept that He's already with us. You know, that doesn't, doesn't work for me based on what I read in Scripture in Matthew chapter 6, in verse 33. To seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need, seek, it's action on our part, seeking God. And if we're not seeking and God is love, I guess we shouldn't be surprised if we're not always feeling 
that love. It's kind of like this. There are some, some donut trucks in our area. How many of you have hit up the, any of these, these donut trucks that park in different places and you get donuts? You can admit it. Nobody's ever there. Thank you. Some of you are like, I, don't, I, I guess I eat donuts. Um, I personally haven't, which is surprising to, my, to me. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, they post where they're going to be on things like social media, let people know, and then you go and you get in line early so you can get fresh donuts and they're delicious and, and that's awesome. And really, I am surprised I haven't done this. Um, but let, let, let's say, just for the sake of, of this, this example, that they are absolutely delicious. There is no doubt they are fantastic. And we want to experience deliciousness in our lives. Obviously, who doesn't want to experience deliciousness? And let, let's say that on the days that you find out where the donut truck is and go get donuts, you experience deliciousness. And on the days that you don't find out where the truck is and you don't go get, go get donuts, there's a deliciousness void in your life. If on those days you wonder why you didn't experience deliciousness, if those days you say, well, where's the deliciousness? I don't understand why I'm not feeling it. It's because you didn't seek it from the source. You didn't look for the donut truck. You didn't go get your donuts. Now that sounds obvious, and yet, and now we're all hungry on top of that, but, but we often wonder why it is that we don't feel God's love, and for a lot of us, it's, it's quite simple. We aren't seeking God like we should. We're not doing our part. And you might say, well, what does, God see, what does seeking God even look like? I don't understand what that means. Well, it really could mean any number of things or a grouping of things. It means spending time in His Word. It means spending time in prayer. It means seeking God's guidance in all your decision-making. It means being a part of a church and, and not just showing up, but connecting with other Jesus followers. It means so many more things than that. But they're all part of seeking God. And when we are truly seeking after God, I believe his love won't seem so far away. So that's one reason. There's also a second reason where we might not always feel God's love. Maybe we don't love like God loves. It might be because we're not seeking. It might also be because we're not loving like God loves. Back to 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 and following there. It says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. You see, the truth is, God set the bar pretty high. I think you're all wonderful people whether I've actually met you or not, several guests in the room. I think you're great people, but I would struggle to send one of my children to die for you, just being honest. And I think if you have children, you would have that same struggle. You'd say, Craig, you're an all right guy, but my kids. And yet that's the standard that God set. That's where, where it's set because that's how he showed his love for us. And if we're honest, I think we'd have to admit that we don't even approach that kind of love very often. We, we pale in comparison. And that kind of love was modeled in the life of Jesus. Which is why I believe this statement is, is, is so true. And I'm not sure who originated this, but, but if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we're going to have to love like Jesus loved. Because if we're not loving like Jesus loved, then we're not 
living like Jesus lived. It makes sense, but we don't naturally do this. We don't have the patience and the endurance and the tolerance and the energy that it actually takes to love like Jesus loved because you read through the New Testament and there are these moments where you have to believe Jesus had to be getting sick of his disciples because they said things that weren't real smart sometimes. They just didn't get it. And Jesus would say things over and over again. And the disciples would say, wait, what? And yet Jesus never once stops just showing love and love. And the crowds followed him everywhere. Jesus just wanted a few minutes every once in a while, but the crowds would go where he went. And I have to believe that we would lose our minds. And yet Jesus just continued to show love. We, we are not on that level, and it shows up in how we handle moderately tough situations. You know, if we get delayed in a checkout line at Walmart, or in a drive through or if, if our food's a little slow at a restaurant, little things like that affect our ability to love people. In fact, I think we all have triggers, don't we? You probably know what yours are. If you don't, and you're married, ask your spouse. I think we all have triggers, things that people do or say that just push us quickly into the realm of frustration. And when we're that strongly affected by people or situations, it becomes difficult or even impossible to love very much like Jesus loved. Because we're annoyed. Some of us have have quicker triggers than others. Some of us live in a constant state of being annoyed by people. You don't have to identify yourselves. You'll probably be the ones who slide out pretty quickly after the service, and that's okay. And see, we we struggle with with people who annoy us. What happens is if, if we think logically about that, we then take the next step and say, if I can't handle people who annoy us, how does God still love me? After all that I've done. After all of my sin. And that makes it difficult for us to, to feel his love because we, we say, now wait a minute. I can't even show tolerance to somebody who bothers me. How, how in the world does God love me after all I've done against him? So Maybe we're not seeking God like we should be. Maybe we're not loving like God loves. But there's a third reason we might not always feel God's love. And this is a big one. and This is the biggest one. It's one that I think every single one of us will relate to on some level. I think we've all experienced this, whether we realize it or not, and it's this. Maybe we feel unworthy of his love. You see, some of us struggle to accept what we haven't earned. Some of you, and maybe many of you, were brought up in such a way that your parents taught you that that you get what you earn. And so when you get something that you feel like you haven't earned, you struggle with that. Some of us are not good at receiving gifts, especially unexpected ones. And there are a lot of us that would have to admit from time to time that we don't feel like we're worthy of God's love because we haven't earned it. It just doesn't seem right, and so we struggle with that. I think if we're honest about it, we'd even have to admit that not only have we not earned it, we don't deserve it. And if you don't feel worthy of it, you're going to struggle to feel it. And yet in Romans chapter 5, Verses 6 through 8, it says this, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. 
Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Now, there's a decent chance you've heard at least some of that before, but what I hear in this passage is what makes it matter so much for this topic. You and I, we didn't have to try to become worthy for God to send Jesus for us. It's almost as if we're kind of over here and, and we get into our own heads and we say, I'm okay. I'm doing pretty well. And, and, and you say, well, I'm pretty good with God. And, and this is the dangerous part. And, and you notice somebody over here who's not so good with God. And you say, well, I'm, I'm in a better place than they are. Does that make you any better? If anything, that probably makes you worse, but it certainly makes you feel better. And you say, well, they're, they're so far from God. I'm not in a great place, but I'm closer to God than they are. And, and so we're doing good, and we say, all right, I'm, I'm okay. But then what happens is another day starts, and we wake up, and it doesn't take long for us to do something we shouldn't do or say something we shouldn't say. We say, ah, why, why did I do that? I know that's not what I need to do, and we're sliding this direction. And we're trying to find somebody who's still worse so we feel better. And we're sliding this direction. And, and if you take that out farther and you continue to make mistakes, which we do every day, you can get to this point where you say, man, I'm a screw up. I couldn't hardly get out of bed without making a mistake. How can God love me? And, and then our natural human uh, drive tells us why well, I need to get back over there. And so we say, how can I get back over there? And we claw and we scratch. And we say, I'm going to do better. I'm going to try. And we try to do it on our own. But the thing is, God knows that we can't do that on our own. God knew that. So in Romans 5, that's why the Bible says that God demonstrated his love for us in this way, in this amazing way, not once we were ready, not when we were good enough, not once we were righteous, but while we were still sinners. It's like God said that they can't make up the difference. So I'm sending Jesus anyway. And I'm going to demonstrate my love for them. I'm not going to wait until they're worthy. I'm not going to wait until they're ready. Because they're not going to get there on their own anyway. We can't get there on our own. We don't feel worthy of God's love. But the problem with that feeling is actually the truth here that, that we, we aren't Worthy of God's love. Feeling that way is simply feeling a fact. We aren't worthy of God's love by the human standard of worth. God doesn't function in human standards. God loved us anyway in the midst of that. This idea plays out perfectly all the way back in the book of Genesis. It's in the story of Adam and Eve. God has created everything, and Adam and Eve are living in the Garden of Eden, and everything's going fine. And God tells Adam and Eve, there's, there's all this food on these trees. You can eat it all except from this one specific tree. It's the only rule. And Adam and Eve eat from the tree, and sin enters the picture, and nothing is ever the same. Before they ate of the tree, they, they had been in a constant relationship with God. In fact, Scripture tells us that God walked in the garden with them. I think that's so cool. 
And all of a sudden, when sin enters the picture, this constant relationship is broken. And the reason it's broken is because they distance themselves from God through sin. And listen to what happens. This is chapter 3, beginning of verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And and we let sin create distance between us and God as well. We struggle with sins and we forget to pray. We, We neglect studying his word. We put things above, you know, church as a priority. We have struggles and all of these things. And, and, and if people knew how much we struggled, because a lot of you walked in this morning and you put on a happy face. Because you needed to, to get through this morning. If people knew how much we struggled, we, we'd start to feel ashamed. And, and because of that, we try to hide the things that we struggle with all of these reasons that we feel unworthy and we try to hide them. And I feel like God would address us somewhat in the way that he addresses Adam here in verse 11. He says, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? I feel like God's saying, who, who told you you were unworthy? Why are you hiding? Why do you think you need to hide from me? When we try to hide all of our struggles from God, I think God looks at us and says, what are you trying to do? How are you hiding? See, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And what we have to understand is that is a beautiful truth, not something we have to become worthy of. It's simply true. God had plans for us from the beginning of time. Those are simply true Facts, we are God's masterpiece and He has a plan for us. It doesn't say that we have to earn it because we don't have to. We don't have to hide our struggles. We don't have to feel unworthy because He loves us anyway. If at any point you feel like your salvation or your relationship with God is dependent on you, you have completely missed the point. And I've been there at times in my life where I've put so much pressure on myself to, to do things a certain way, to, to write things. God's already righted everything. He did what needed to be done. There's this story about a glassmaker who was doing a demonstration in the back of his store. How many of you guys have seen one of these actually blow the glass and then spin it live there? Yeah, pretty cool uh, from what I hear. I've, I've never seen one, but just, just the story is amazing. And so I want to share with you this story as it was told by a a pastor who was there that day. These are his words. He said, so I go back there and I start watching. And we're watching the guy do his thing. And sure enough, there he is blowing this vase that day. So he put it in the kiln and got it really hot. And he had blown it and started to form it. And he was twirling it. And as he did, it started to shape out into a vase. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. There comes a vase out of this liquid glass. That's cool. And we're watching, and all of a sudden you hear what no one wants to hear in a glass shop. You hear glass breaking. This guy happens to have four kids. I also have four kids, so I get this. He said, what did I do? First thing I do is get a head count on my four. I'm like, where are they? Okay, they're all good. Somebody else is going to be paying for that broken thing. That's great. And he says, all right, so then I realize it's actually the vase he's creating. 
And I thought, how embarrassing. He's got all these people around, they're all watching, and this thing shatters. Well, as a part of his process, he has it on this long pole, and he sits the vase on the desk, and he would roll it, and it would hang off the edge, and he would put his eye right down on it, and he would just watch it as he rolled, looking for impurities in the way that it was formed. And as he's rolling it back and forth, he says, well, it looks like we've got about a four-inch crack in this vase. And he picks it up, and he's looking at it, and he's spinning it, and he says, you know, I thought I was making a vase today. But apparently this might become something a little bit different. I see something a little different in this piece. And he takes it, and he puts it back in the kiln, and he begins to fire it, and it gets molten hot again. And he pulls it out, and he sits it on the desk. And he takes these huge forged scissors, and he begins to cut down into the heart of this vase. And I'm like, what's he doing? He's going to ruin it. And he's just cutting this big portion of it, and this huge piece falls off and crashes on the floor. I'm like, he's out of control. What's he doing? And he puts the scissors back, and he takes the vase, and he puts it back in the kiln, and he heats it back up, he pulls it back out, and he begins to roll the rod in his hand, and he swings the thing at the same time. And all of a sudden, molten edges of that bowl start to kind of come up, and they become wobbly. And I'm telling you what, out of a broken vase comes a beautiful bowl. I'm like, are you kidding me? Is that a bowl he pulled out of the kiln from a, bro- kiln from a broken vase? Unbelievable. And the guy explained that the reason that it broke is because of going from, from hot fire to cold too quickly caused it to fracture. And I think we can find ourselves in that vase slash bowl. A lot of times we're, we're, we're broken, or at least we seem broken. We've got cracks in us. But you take something that seems broken and you stick it in the hands of a creator, and all of a sudden something beautiful starts to happen. All of a sudden God starts saying, look, I know you're broken. I know that was a tough season. It was really hot. It was really hard to deal with. And I know it got really cold, and in that stress of all that time, you broke, and you feel like your intended purpose is no more. So you're my masterpiece. You're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I've had planned forever. And here's, here's the truth about God. It's found in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. It says this, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We like control. We like to earn things. We like to, 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 I think we do, a lot of us, like to, to get a job done and be able to look back and say, I, I did that. And because we have those kind of natural inclinations inside of us, when it comes to the idea that God did everything that needed to be done for us, there's a potential there to struggle. And say, no, I want to earn this. I want to earn this. I want to be as good as I can. I want to do my best. You know what? Our best pales in comparison to God. And yes, He calls us to do our best. He calls us to be holy. We're going to fall short of that, but we still need to try. But it's not on us to earn 
salvation. God took care of that. God says, I see something different. You see something broken, but I see something beautiful. I see something I can utilize. I can create and transform you. You don't have to be worthy. Because I already sent Jesus to the cross. Ultimately, if the question is, what does God love? God loves to take broken and hurting people and make sure they know that they are his masterpiece and they are his. You and I, we are masterpieces. We are his. God loves us so much. Let's pray. God, we struggle. We believe we're worthy. Pray that you would help us to understand that we don't need to be worthy. That in spite of our unworthiness, you did what no one else could do for us and what we absolutely could not do for ourselves. And you made a way for us to come back to you after sin had separated us so far. And God, there is no logical reason by human logic that you would do that for us. I think every day the way I live my life makes it even more clear it's not logical that you did that for me. God, every every time we sin, it seems to make less sense, and yet your love isn't logical. And I think that makes it even more beautiful. So we're thankful that you love us the way you do. That that love is, is unconditional, incomparable, and It's not something we have to earn. It's something that you give us freely. So God, for all of us, but especially those of us in a a time of, of not really feeling your love, I pray that today we get out of our own way and know that you're right there with your arms around us. God, if there's, if there's distance between you and us, we've created it, not you. Help us to know that you're ready for us to come back. Are you ready for us to come to you for the first time? God, we are thankful that nobody is outside of your love. Help us to tell the world about that. Help us to tell them that there's a God that loves them and there's a Savior that died for them. And that gift is free. As we move into a, a time of communion, I pray that that would be our focus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.